We're very thankful today to be joined by Dr. Jeff Ripperda from Shawnee Health Services. Dr. Ripperda, thank you so much for your time. Hey, well, thanks for having me. So this is a part of a series of conversations with uh, Shawnee Healthcare providers highlighting healthcare issues that matter to our community. And today we're talking with Dr. Ripperda about pre-screenings for cancers, specifically colorectal cancer. Uh, Dr. Ripperda, first question for you today. Uh, how common of the various forms of cancer is colorectal cancer? Yeah, it's uh, it's up there. It's one of the top five causes of cancer and cancer deaths in the in the United States. Um, so it shows up pretty regularly. You know, I do routine family practice, family medicine in Murfreesboro, which means I see um, just about every health problem you can imagine that walks through the door. So I'm not a specialist, somebody who only sees people with certain problems. And I'll, unfortunately, dying, diagnosing somebody with colon cancer or a precursor to it is, is all too common. It's something that I see routinely even doing, doing routine medicine. Um, you know, on a personal note, I've lost a, a friend, a guy who used to play in my uh, band with me, uh, who died of colon cancer fairly young. And my dad's dad, my own grandfather, died of colon cancer. So, you know, I think about this professionally, but personally as well. And I would suspect most of your listeners out there, I mean, colon cancer, unfortunately, is a common enough disease that I would guess more people than not out there know somebody who who it's affected. Yeah, certainly a close family friend of mine passed away from it uh, probably within the last 10 to 15 years, and I remember that vividly. Um, To what extent is colon cancer related to diet, and to what extent are people just genetically predisposed to colorectal cancer? Yeah, I mean, it's some of both. You know, if you've got a, a, especially a first-degree relative, by which we mean one of your parents, one of your brothers or sisters who is diagnosed with colon cancer at a young age, you're going to have a higher risk of getting colon cancer. And for anybody who that's happened to, I'm going to recommend you have a conversation with your doctor. We might start screening you for colon cancer a little bit earlier than we would the rest of the population, depending on the specifics of your story there. Um, if you've got two more distant family members, that may or may not merit closer screening. And again, that's a conversation that anybody should have um, with their with their doctor. And like just about anything in life, unfortunately, diet and all the stuff that tastes best <laughs> and uh, goes down well does predispose you a little bit. We think that a low-fiber diet in particular predisposes you to colon cancer. There's a little bit of conflicting data out there. But like so many things in life, it looks like all the things that, that predispose you to bad health outcomes, just a diet high in uh, sugar, diets high in fat, high, diets that are low in uh, fiber and smoking all seem to predispose you to, to getting colon cancer. So at what age should people start getting screened? So there's a fairly new guideline out there. And let me say this. Anytime we talk about screening people, we say that we doctors, we're going to go looking for trouble without any reason to, meaning we do the test to see if you've got the disease, even though you have no symptoms at all. It's basically a checkup. For a long time, the guidelines said to start at 50 years old, but just within the past year or two, those guidelines bop that age back to 45. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for myself, that uh, I was going to be able to wait a couple of years, but now I can't, and I'm on that list of people who needs to be screened as well. So anybody who's hit 45 and hasn't been screened, I recommend it. And there's a couple options for screening. Um, probably the one that most people are familiar with is um, having a colonoscopy, um, which for those of you who have had it, you know that the procedure itself for a colonoscopy is not all that bad. 
you get some um, good drugs <laughs> for that procedure. So typically you're sleeping and there's not really much pain. The hard part to a colonoscopy is the prep the day before where you have to be, uh, shall we say, cleaned out to put it delicately. Um, and that day can be a little bit rough um, for some people. That's that's probably the worst part of the process. There's also some newer technologies out there that allow us to actually screen a stool sample for cancer cells, precancer cells, polyp fragments, and blood. And um, that technology goes by a brand name called Coligard. And I, I like that test because it's a test that you can do at home without the need to do any sort of prep whatsoever. You don't have to receive any kind of anesthesia. That test is both really good and really bad. It's really good in that if the test is negative, it's pretty well a guarantee that you don't have any major colon issues going on. It's a bad test in that it's got a high rate of what we call false positives, meaning the most people that have a positive test on that, we don't really find anything on the flip side. So typically what I recommend to my patients is if you're eligible, meaning you haven't had any major colon issues in the past for a Cologuard, do that first, and then if it's positive, you need to go have a colonoscopy. Well, the whole point of pre-screening is because it helps improve with survival rates if you are diagnosed, if you are detected early. So talk a little bit about what survival rates uh, occur when people detect colorectal cancer early. So people that have routine screenings to the for their colon cancer, meaning people who are doing these coligards or these colonoscopies, the rate of death from colon cancer is exceedingly low. I mean, it's not quite zero. No test is perfect, of course, but it really is very, very, very low. And I mean, uh, you know, I have to remind myself in, in my job and patients, we all got to die of something, you know. Uh, but let, let me, as your doctor, prevent the things that I can. Um, and I can, I can almost guarantee you that you won't die of colon cancer if you let me do your screening test as recommended routinely. Dr. Jeff Ripperda is with us from Shawnee Healthcare today. Uh, what else should we be thinking about when it comes to, you know, pre-screenings or colorectal cancers? Is this something that most insurances will cover? Yeah, uh, actually, I think all insurances cover it, um, with with very few exceptions. Um, so with the, the passage of the Affordable Care Act several years ago was essentially mandated that insurance companies have to cover preventative services like this. So, I mean, there's really not much of an excuse outside of saying it's inconvenient or I'd rather not know to not go do the testing. Um, I really can't think of a, a single patient of mine who over the past couple of years has had to pass the test or pass on having this test because they couldn't afford it. Um, even if you don't have insurance, there's some ways that we can get the, the Cologuard paid for or a colonoscopy um, heavily discounted, maybe even to the point of being free. So I'd encourage anybody out there who wonders if their insurance is good enough to have that conversation with their doctor because there are ways to get those services covered. Going to jump off this topic for just a second and throw a couple of uh, recent news items at you. Don't expect you to have any great detail, but I was intrigued by lots of headlines surrounding a new Alzheimer's uh, drug that uh, the FDA has added some additional approval to. Is there anything you can uh, relate on that point? It's kind of exciting to see that something has been approved because there hasn't been a new Alzheimer's drug for, I'm, I'm talking a couple of decades, and the medications that we have currently have pretty modest effect. So for as common as Alzheimer's is, unfortunately, the treatments that we have are really not that 
great. Um, you know, the, the new medication that's, that's out there, <laughs> I, I hate to say, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it because I've not been to like a, a, a conference or anything to hear the experts, um, say what it is, let me, something to that effect. Um, let, let can be, um, it looks like it does slow the progression of Alzheimer's to a degree. And I think what anybody who is hoping that a loved one will get treated with the drug needs to remember is the goal of treatment is not necessarily to make somebody's memory better. It looks like the the drug probably doesn't do that, but it will slow down the decline. So um, Alzheimer's is a, it's just a terrible disease because I mean the best you can do is hope to kind of control it and slow it down. But it looks like um, this probably does a better job than anything else that's out there. Now my my caveat with that always is that this is new. I have zero experience with this, so this is all based on the medical research that I've I've read. Uh, myself, And I mean, sometimes after a drug is on the market for six or 12 months, we learn more. And there's some drugs that have proven to be better than we thought, some drugs that have proven to be um, not as good as we thought. But um, this looks really, really promising. Is this the quote unquote slow time of the year for doctors? And I know that that's sort of a laughable question probably, but I always think about the summertime as being a time when there's not as much of the common cold. There's not a, you know, it's not flu season. Um, what's dominating the docket for doctors this time of the year? Oh man, is there a quiet time? Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so, I mean, in Southern Illinois, we just don't have enough healthcare providers. So I don't know that those of us who live in places where there aren't enough healthcare providers, I don't know that there's ever truly a, a downtime. Um, there, there is definitely less acute illness going around during the summer than there is at other times. Of year and we I mean that's not new that's a phenomenon that's been going on forever we think that has to do with people just spending more time outdoors um, less time indoors with other people and of course kids not being in school to, uh, <laughs> to spread viruses and illnesses around I would still get little clusters of things that happen over the summer um, last summer was particularly weird because there were a ton of viruses that went around and that's just a strange thing to see but this year um, <laughs> I almost don't want to. I almost don't want to say it because I'm not superstitious, but I am a little bit stitious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been better, so fairly slow in terms of acute illnesses over the past couple months. Yeah. Last question for you today. Uh, watched a lot of news concerning the Canada wildfires and the haze that it's created. I've not seen any dense sort of. Um, air in southern illinois really other than at sunset you know or sunrise you could tell it to some extent but in the cities we've seen it be very uh, pronounced uh, if people are going to be traveling to one of these places that have this canadian wildfire smoke uh, impact they need to be wearing a n95 mask or something um i don't I mean, maybe. I, I guess what I'd say my own personal experience, I was in Chicago about four weeks ago, roughly, um, just for 48 hours for a conference. And um, they had a, an air quality alert out for that day. And um, I went for a jog that morning, went down to, for those of you who have been to Chicago, if you know Grant Park, it's right along uh, uh, right along the shores of Lake Michigan and jogged down there and it looked like it was going to be a beautiful day. A few clouds in the sky, nice and blue, fairly cool um, temperatures. But as the day went on, the sky noticed we got a little bit of a strange yellow tint to it. And I actually drove back to Southern Illinois that day and I got 
driving down Interstate 57, I was probably about to Interstate 70 or Interstate 64 before I feel like it totally cleared up. And it was noticeable. I had a little bit of a sinus headache and the sort of yellow tint in the air gave me a bit of a, a bit of a headache. So, I mean, for, for those of you who haven't been able to, to see it, I'll attest firsthand. It was a very real thing um, that was there. I mean, I don't have any major health issues, but it was definitely an annoyance. We know that when air quality goes down, that hospitalizations for lung diseases go up. So even recently, like in New York, when all those pictures were on the national news showing how how the, the air quality was terrible and the skies looked kind of yellow-orange brown, that they had increased hospitalizations um, for respiratory illnesses, meaning if somebody has COPD, emphysema, chronic bronchitis, asthma, um, or just any sort of lung issue, you are more predisposed to having those those kind of problems. Uh, I've not seen great research on whether you can truly do anything to, to prevent um, those illnesses from happening. Most of the expert advice is gonna say, yeah, if you're really wandering outside, you might be better off wearing a mask. You're probably better off sitting inside in the air conditioning where at least the air is um, semi, semi-filtered. Uh, but the, the harsh reality is you're a little bit at the mercy of your your environment when that happens. So I'll, I'll follow the expert's advice and say, yeah, if you're going somewhere where the air quality is bad, you should probably consider just sitting indoors and not doing much, especially if you have bad lungs. Dr. Jeff Ripperda is with us, and we'll bring it back to the topic that we began with concerning uh, pre-screening for colorectal cancer. Um, the elevator speech, uh, why people should get pre-screened. Yeah, so once again, we, we all humans have a, uh, we've all got an expiration date, and I can't prevent absolutely every illness that's out there, but colon cancer causes a significant number of deaths in the United States every year, and the vast majority of those are preventable so long as the person has a colonoscopy or does the Colaguard. Please go do it so you're not one of those numbers of preventable deaths. Jeff Rippert has been our guest today. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Will, thanks for having me.